always shitty. You know, they're supposed to be shitty, but some of them are much shittier than the others because I was rushing through them, you know. Supposed to be shitty? Well, yeah. I mean, maybe supposed to be shitty is not the right way to say it, but I, I, I'm very well aware of all of the flaws in my comics, and I rather... Rather than try to fix them or make them look better, I kind of celebrate that they look shitty. You've matured or at least, you know, become a better artist. You know, I, I've read a, a number of the, the diary strip collections and I think you would almost have to actively work to keep being shitty yeah. in order to not get better by doing a comic every single day. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> you progress as an artist, I would say. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I still, I still feel like I can't draw. I mean, I feel like just about every single day, something happens in one of the three panels where I'm like, ah, shit, that line wasn't supposed to go there, or you know, this wasn't because I always just go straight with a pen. I never use a pencil or anything, and so almost every day, I at least fuck up one line. <laughs> Obviously, there's a difference between doing a three-panel strip and and covering an entire page, but it was part of the pressure that you felt you needed something, I guess, a little meatier than you would just do at a daily strip? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, you know, like, when I, when there's a good strip in there, there's, there's some of the some of the pages in the book are very good, you know, and I'm really proud of them. And you can tell it was like, you know, I had this idea and I'm like, oh, this idea is going to be awesome. I can't wait to draw it. I was excited to draw it. I was happy about it. And you can just see it in the finished product. It looks like I wanted to do it. And then you look at the ones where, you know, they're really phoned in and it's like, oh, man, nobody's enjoying this. You know, I didn't like it. You don't like it. Why did I even do it? It looks like he stopped doing the column in 2020 at the time when like every single one of us was looking for something to do to fill the time. Yeah, it's true. I um I kind of ran out of ideas, you know what I mean? After, you know, however many 15, 17 years or whatever it was I was doing it. At some point, I just kind of ran out of stuff to to talk about, you know. And when I started doing it, you know, it was all about, you know, I'm I'm this punk guy and this is all about punk shows and here's punk stuff you can do and it's like I'm I'm almost 50 at this point. Like nobody wants to be a 50-year-old punk, you know. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible, but it's like I don't know, it's just like when I was a kid, I always thought that the weird 50-year-old dude in the back of the room was weird and creepy, and I don't want to be that dude. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it de definitely, especially at the shows, like, you don't want to be, like, the one dude in a room full of 13-year-olds, for sure. Right, right. And, you know, you can only translate that stuff so much. You know, at some point, like, I stopped going to shows. You know, I didn't – well, yeah, I did stop going to shows. It was, you know, part of it was, like, because I felt weird and old and creepy, and part of it was, like, I don't know, I just kind of, kind of got – disinterested you know it's not as interesting to me as it used to be and you know if i'm not in that punk scene i can't really like write from the experience of being in the punk scene and that was another thing is i felt like they should they should give that space to some young punk kid that like has a bunch of shit to say like i used to be you know that much was definitely expressed in the last strip right <laughs> well i had my time on this earth oh yeah know, yeah totally. <laughs> that's what it at least in the in the sense of razor cake yeah it's funny though because I like I know exactly what you're talking about, about the, the old guy in the room. And certainly like there are situations where I have felt like that myself. But aren't you always kind of fascinated by that, dude? Aren't you always like fascinated by like the 60 year old guy who had his like, you know, his leather jacket from like CBs in 1976 and is still hanging out? I mean, I'm sure that dude, I'm sure that that dude has seen some stuff and has some stories. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That, that dude is fascinating. I just don't know if I want to be him. You know what I mean? <laughs> Punk means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And it's kind of a, you know, a bit of an abstract idea. Can it be something though, that in some way continues to 
play a role in your life, even if you're not, you know, actively like going to shows? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly hope so. I've, I'm certainly try to still, you know, live my life by those, by that, that, those standards in that way, you know, but like, it's, I don't know, it's the things that you celebrate when you're young, you know, you celebrate like the freedom of like, you know, I don't have a bank account. Who cares? Woohoo. I'm going to get a tattoo on my face or what, you know, you just do whatever that freedom. Like you can still be that free when you're in your fifties, but it's, it's just kind of sad, you know, like you, you need to, you, you get it out of your system. You know, you get to that point where it's like, okay, I'm done being a fuck up. I'm ready to like, you know, raise my credit score up and like be a grown up. And, you know, I, I definitely, it's difficult to try and balance. Like, am I going to stay punk for whatever, whatever staying punk means? Is that so important that I'm going to like, you know, not try to better myself and not try to, you know what I mean? It's, it, for me, it does reach a point where you have to pick one or the other. You have to stay shitty or like grow up. To the 15 year old you, what is ultimately sadder, the idea of a 50 year old punk or the idea of somebody who is, yeah, mellowing out and, and settling down and maybe is thinking about his life insurance policy? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure 15 year old me would have, you know, absolutely loved to like, be this 41 year old gutter punk dude or whatever. But, uh, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's, that's only cool to a 15 year old. And when you're 45, your other friends that are 45, they don't think it's that cool anymore. You know, (laughs) that's, I I think that's, that's really it. It's like, it's about your peer group. You know, when you're 15, you want to impress all the other 15 year olds and you do stuff, you know, crazy stuff. And then when you're 45, I don't want to say, maybe not necessarily try to impress the other 45 year olds, but you're definitely trying to like fit in and like be, you know, you're just trying to like act like a normal person, I guess. <laughs> do you feel like there are things you didn't do or, or opportunities that you had that you, you know, didn't take because at that place in time, they weren't punk enough? I don't, I don't, I don't think I passed up any opportunities. I mean, I, I dropped out of college. That was a real left turn. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that, but, but <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was too punk, man. I, I was in a band and we were going to go on tour and I didn't need school. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I definitely wish I hadn't dropped out of college. I mean, not that I really learned anything in college, but I, I well, no, I take it back. I learned in college that that stupid piece of paper that you work for is kind of worth something when you're trying to get a job. You know, I didn't learn any actual knowledge, but other than that, you know, if you want to win the game, so to speak, you have to play by the rules, meaning you have to have a diploma, you know? I think about now in terms of like, you know, people doing their LinkedIn pages, right? And right. it's like it's like anything else. It's like just like looking at something on the internet. There are a few things that you look for first, right? There, there are those things that catch somebody's eye. And like, you know, if you're a resume and a pile of resumes and you don't have this box to tick off, then like people are going to sort of move on to the next thing. And it's, and, and it's not that it's necessarily that there's anything particularly valuable in just the act of like having a diploma, but it's sort of like, I guess if you're a, somebody hiring for a job, there are a few things that you look for first. Yeah. Yeah. Something that my dad used to always say is that the, the main thing that college is for is to show somebody that you can stick with something for four years. <laughs> How did he take your dot being able to stick with it for four years? Oh, he dropped out himself. 
but he, yeah, yeah, that that was always kind of my thing. I was like, well, Dad did it. It's cool. You know, was, it was like that that, uh, that Mormon <laughs> commercial that I learned it from watching you. Yeah, Dad. yeah, totally. <laughs> Do you feel like you're at a point in your life where it just wouldn't make sense, or it's not feasible to sort of go back and try to get a diploma? Yeah, I thought about it for a while. I think it's even in the beginning of uh, my last book, uh, "The Dog Days of Snake Pit." Um, I. I was going to go back to community college and I got my transcripts and, you know, started like taking all the, doing all the filling out the forms and taking the, the tests and everything. And the math stuff stressed me out so bad, man. And it get like way worse than when I was a kid, I guess, because I've spent so much time avoiding math specifically, but just like just the basic math entrance stuff stressed me out so bad that I was just like, fuck this. It's not even worth it. You know, I'd I'd rather just continue my life without a, without a, whatever, um, community, community college degree, you know, how serious were you taking music from us? I mean, obviously like you were taking it seriously as, as a musician, but like, was there ever a point when it felt like, oh, this is maybe, this is something that I can really do for a while. This is something that, that I can survive off of. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the time, the whole time I was playing in J church, like, I mean, we didn't, we didn't make a lot of money, but it was enough and we toured enough, you know, we were an active enough band where I could get away with living, you know, working some shitty like part-time job and then like being on the road the rest of the time. And like when you're living that life, that's all you ever want to do, you know? And it's like, I'm, I'm fine with sleeping on floors till I'm 60 You know, I just want to do this all the time. And then once, you know, Lance passed away and then J church obviously couldn't do anything else anymore. You know, I, I kind of tried to keep going. I tried to carry that torch, you know, and use all the, all the skills that I had learned in J church. I'm going to put them in my own new band. And that was a band called Shanghai river that probably no one's heard of because the thing that I learned is that like, you know, you can have all the skills and connection and, and, and know all the venues and how to, you know, have the connections and all that stuff. But like, if you just don't know how to write a song good, like nobody cares. And that's, that was the thing. The thing that I lack is the songwriting talent, I guess, that that drives a band to be successful. In a lot of cases, people sort of learn through osmosis or learn from, you know, being around somebody. And you were obviously in a band with somebody who is in a lot of ways, or sorry, was a phenomenal songwriter. You don't don't feel like that had a, um, an impact on your ability to write your own songs? Oh, it... (laughs) Only in the sense that it made me think I could. <laughs> it gave you the confidence. To yeah, think it gave me a do. lot of false confidence. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know. And, and then kind of as, as that began to fizzle out, you know, the, the, bands, the bands that I did after J Church were not necessarily as successful. And it made me stop trying so much. And then it, like, it just, you know what I mean? It kind of like mellowed into this, its own thing. And now I still play music, but it's really just for fun, you know, and I, it's, I never take it any more seriously than I need to. And I think that's a healthy way to be, but it's also at the same time I spent 20 years fucking around and <laughs> didn't learn a good trade or anything, you know? We were, we were talking about the, you know, the kind of the sad, the sad old guy, I guess, at the, at the punk show, you know, do you feel like you get like a buffer if you're actually the guy who's in a band? Do you think that that's something that you can keep doing for longer without being sad? Yeah, there's something about... Okay, when you think about that, when you're at the house show and there's a creepy old dude in the corner with a leather jacket, and you're like, oh, okay. 
But you're at the house show and there's five creepy old dudes sitting in a van getting drunk. That's perfectly okay because you know that they're the band that everyone's there to see. The strength in numbers, you know. <laughs> Herd mentality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I know you primarily through the comics, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I I know your music too, and I also know your music through the comics. You always seemed like somebody who was in a lot of bands. Was J Church just like, all right, th- this is this is the band now. I'm not a guy who's in 15 bands. Like this is the the thing that I'm taking seriously no i was always in lots of bands um just because it's fun you know i just like playing and playing the dynamics of playing with different people is really enjoyable and stuff j church is just the only band i've been in that's ever been successful i think that's really it you know again i I know them primarily through you and i know them primarily through through your comics you know one of the things that surprised me reading the, the the collection of columns is um were they big in Japan? I guess so. I get, you know, um, big enough that like we got to tour there twice and everything was paid for. So yeah, I guess in that sense, yeah, and definitely. You know, we had a, a label in Japan that put out records for us, and and the two tours we had, you know, they were still punk tours. We were still sleeping on floors and stuff, but it's definitely uh, yeah, it was you know packed houses every night and stuff. It was it was fun, yeah. I would assume that's one of the more surreal moments of your life is going to the city in Japan that you had literally never heard of basically until you got there <laughs> yeah. and being in a room where you're playing the song that you had never played before <laughs> and everybody's singing along. I mean, like, you know, there, there must be a, a, a moment where you're just like, all right, like this is, this is it. Like this is, this is as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. I did feel that that night for sure. That was like, I think, you know, when, uh, you know, when you die, they say your life flashes before your eyes. I'm pretty sure that night's going to be in the flash before my eyes when I die. It was definitely one of the coolest nights of my whole life, for sure. Were comics ever something that you felt like you could do on a, a more professional level? So here's the deal with the comics. Like, when... <laughs> here's the deal with the comics. When, uh, Is that your Neil Hamburger? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when I lived in Virginia, I uh, played in this band, and uh, we were on the cusp of, like, really succeeding. You know what I mean? Or I guess, I don't know, in, in my eyes, we were, we were reaching that level of like, you know, things were about to go. Succeeding by your standards. Yes. Yes. And our drummer like just up and quit out of nowhere, bailed on us. And like, you know, I think it was like before a tour or something like, I don't know. It just, it got to this point where I was so frustrated and I was so mad at this dude. And I was like, I've got to have some kind of art that I do where I'm the only person doing it and I have control and I don't have to like get let down by three other dudes constantly, you know? And at the time I was just kind of doing like doodly comics and I had discovered Jim's journal and kind of got that idea. And like it, it kind of, I don't know. it, It started off as just kind of a goofy thing for fun and I put out one zine of the first like couple months and a lot of people liked it. And I kind of, it kind of clicked then. It was like, oh, you know, maybe I can put my, all the frustrations I'm having with like not succeeding in music. Maybe I can put that into this art, you know, where I've got total control over it, can do whatever I want. And like, that's just kind of how it took off. It, it, it was never like, I was like, I'm going to be a comic book artist. It was more like, I need something other than music right now to deal with. And that's, that's how it evolved. I think. When you first started, were you expecting that anyone was even going to see it? No, no. I was, you know, I was making 20 copies of it at Kinko's and just giving them out to my friends and stuff. What was sort of the threshold there where you're like, Oh, this is actually a thing that people who don't know me might enjoy. Yeah. It was, um, I don't know. Like I, I, what would happen is I, you know, I do a run of 20, 30 copies and they would instantly go away and people would keep asking me to go print them again and stuff. 
And so I kind of decided, you know, I put them together in that, that first one year zine that, and then that's the one, you know, I sent out, sent out copies for like review at like maximum rock and roll and punk planet and heart attack and all these great (laughs) scenes that totally don't exist anymore. To you kids out there, these were what we read back in the (laughs) nineties. Is maximum rock and roll totally dead? Uh, I think they still exist online, but as a print magazine, no, they, they don't exist anymore. Yeah. Getting reviews, like sending them out for reviews, sending the zine out for reviews, kind of like you would send your band's first seven inch or something. That was when I kind of felt like, okay, maybe I am going to like take this, you know, more seriously and try to like publish it. Like, you know, I was, I was trying to follow the, the, the comet bus template of like, be humble so that if you fail, it's no big deal. You know? <laughs> humble in the sense of not looking like you're trying. Right, right, right. And keeping keeping the aesthetic kind of simple and basic. And I guess, yeah, like that. So it's that you don't set the bar too high. You don't set the expectations too high. And then that way, when you do exceed those expectations, everyone's like really impressed with it, you know, because it's like there's a million shitty zines, but then you see a shitty zine with one cool thing in it that's a lot better than everything else. It definitely stands out, you know. It's funny, the sort of the contrast of, again, you know, coming off of this column where a big part of the reason why you stopped doing it is because you felt like you didn't have anything to say. And there are points in the book because you, you wrote some footnotes to it. There are points where you're like, oh yeah, this was, this was a month where I like, I literally had nothing to say. And yeah. I, was, I was doing something at the, at the last minute when you were doing this script, it didn't, it ultimately didn't matter if you felt like you had something to say. Right. Right. And that, that's the thing with the, I mean, the point of the daily strips is that if I don't have anything to say, I still say it. If I have a lot to say, I still say it in three panels. You know, it's it's either stretch out nothing into take the three panels or condense a lot down into just three panels. And that's that's always been the important part of the diary comics. And then with the, the Razor Cake comics were different in that, like, I was trying to actually, you know, like I always wanted to like do like recipes or like, you know, how to, you know, how to build your own this or that. You know, I, I wanted it to be like a, the kind of comic where someone would like rip the page out and keep it because they could use it as a reference for something. You know what I mean? Like the, uh, like the how to do tattoos one, you know, that was a good one that I was very proud of or how to make the inverted gravity bong, you know, stuff like that. Like, I feel like those are useful skills that I can share with people. The punk ass diagram was interesting too, you know, because I, I, I do think, and you, and you touch on this, that it was definitely taken as a whole, your best drawing in the book and like, and cohesive as a sort of a, a single piece. Mm-hmm. And, and I got that from reading the footnotes that it was something that really stood out to you to such a point where you're like, Oh, I need to revisit this and maybe redraw it. Yeah. So a uh, secret spoiler alert, I did redraw it and it's going to be a bonus page in the book. <laughs> yes. I'm a, it's literally on my computer right now. I'm working on it. So talking about sort of setting these parameters for yourself. And, and I assume that like setting parameters for yourself is super important when you're going to sit down and do something every single day, regardless of whether you have something to talk about or, you know, if you wake up feeling like shit, I mean, ultimately, is it more difficult to do a three page panel if you have too much to say or not enough? It's honestly harder if I've got too much because I have to really pick and choose like what's the what are the important things that I really want to say about what happened today? You know, that's that's definitely much harder because stretching out nothing is pretty easy. You know, if you play a video game, you just draw yourself playing a video game or whatever. You know, it's that part's very easy. It's it's definitely condensing the the exciting days into 
just three panels. It's hard. Was the drawing nothing? Was it that way from the beginning? I mean, did you feel early on when he started doing it that like, you know, maybe if nothing happened that day, then it just wasn't worth sitting down and drawing? Oh, no, no, no. Always from, from the very first day, I always knew like, you know, especially if nothing happens, there's a reason to draw a comic. What does that mean? So like, um, are you familiar with Jim's journal? Yeah. So, you know, I completely ripped that off. That's 100% like Snake Pit is a 100% rip off of Jim's journal, except for that, you know, when I found out that Jim's journal was fictional, that's when I kind of got my idea like, oh, I'll do this for real. But, you know, the beauty of Jim's journal is the ones where like literally nothing like my favorite one is the one where he's just sitting in a chair for all three panels and goes, I didn't do anything today. And then like no other words in the whole thing. That's I still to this day think that's the greatest comic that's ever been drawn. (laughs) Is it a case where you feel like in order to have done it successfully that you needed the momentum of doing it every single day that that it would have just fallen by the wayside if you didn't? make a concerted effort again, regardless of what happened or how you felt that you would sit down and draw it. Maybe, but I also really think that like, I've always been a fan of projects that, that are done very, very small increments at a time, you know, like you do every day for three whole years and then you have a book, you know, I love that kind of thing. And and so I think the the important part to me is that I have every day documented no matter what. And like, you know, except for the one day that, that my dog died in the last book, like I've drawn every day and it's, and and in that point, like the not drawing the comic was kind of the point and in itself kind of was the comic for that day. Um, But I definitely think it's important for my format that I've created to like be sure every day is in there. How much of it is, is really just structuring your day? You know, I like, I mean, I obviously I've known this implicitly in some form or another, but like one of the things that really, got driven home to me in the past year when things got super weird. And, you know, I was somebody who was going into the office for work and somebody who traveled a lot for work Mm -hmm. is sort of the importance of routine, especially now that I am working from home. It's really kind of blurred the lines in probably an unhealthy way between work and, and my personal life. How useful has it been having this thing that you do every single day. Extremely useful. Um, I can, first of all, it's like a, a daily, like it's like brushing your teeth or something. Like if I don't, mm. if I didn't do it, I can, you know, it feels wrong. And I'm like, oh, I forgot to do this today, you know? And then it's also really useful to have every day of your life documented. Um, an example that I always tell is, you know, many years ago when I was working at Sound Exchange, uh, my boss gave me a raise, you know? And I got my paycheck and I'm like, oh, hey, my race didn't show up on the paycheck. He's like, oh, I gave it to you on this day. And I'm like, oh, no, wait. And I like literally pulled the zine off the counter and opened it up to the day I got the raise. I'm like, no, look, you gave it to me on this day. And he's like, oh, you're right. He gave me like, you know, retroactive for two weeks or whatever. But yeah, that sort of thing is very useful. You know, we're like, oh, what did I do last year at this time? And I just go and look, you know, it's very helpful. It has to take on a different meaning when you know that a fair number of people are going to see it. Yeah. Um, something that people all the time are like, Oh, I know so much about you. And I, my answer is like, well, you know, the things I want you to know about me. You know, there's of course, like anybody, there's lots of stuff that happens that doesn't go in the comic, you know, because it's either it's personal or, or I didn't feel like sharing it or, you know, for whatever reason. I interviewed a ton of people who do autobiographical comics over the years. And the things that really jump out to people reading them are the things that are, you know, super personal are the people who like really kind of get into the, like you mentioned, like, uh, 
Julia Wirtz, who mm-hmm. you know, I'm guessing is a, a mutual friend of ours, and and she you know she goes into some pretty some pretty embarrassing stuff in in, in some of her strips. Yeah. Um, do you feel like having done it for as long as you have that it's made you sort of I don't know if braver is the right word, but you know more willing to disclose stuff? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, definitely in the early days of the comic, when it you know there was a I would say between 2001 and maybe 2007 or so, those first five or six years that I did the comic, you know, it was the most important thing in the world to me. And I would deliberately make stupid decisions in life because I knew that they would make good comics. <laughs> What's an example? Oh, I don't know. Like, um, oh, um, so like one time I was, uh, it was in Minneapolis. Uh, I was, I was staying in Minneapolis for like, you know, I, I was a house guest of some friends and they were letting me stay with them for a few weeks, you know, it, it was a summer and I'm eating breakfast in a diner and, um, Patty from Dillinger four walks in and he's like, Hey, you want to go to Milwaukee right now? And I'm like, okay. So I just jumped in the van and like directly from breakfast, my bike was still locked up outside. Like, you know, I didn't have any, I didn't have a jacket or anything. Um, I jumped in the van and I didn't get back to Minneapolis for two months. I was gone for two months with no, you know, no toothbrush, no change of clothes, no nothing. I had to like, I, I definitely remember shoplifting boxer shorts on that trip super impulsive probably kind of stupid in a certain way but like also it's kind of badass yeah it was fun it was fun and that was the thing and i knew like i knew it would make great comics number one and number two it was fun but it definitely i would say that the, the comic and the the idea that like you know whatever happens i'm going to share this with everybody definitely back in those days it pushed me to do you know dumber stuff or make more rash quick decisions, but I, I don't have any regrets about any of those th- things that I did, you know, having been in so many bands and touring around so much that, um, that maybe you weren't tied to a specific place in, in the way that you are now. Oh yeah, definitely. That had a lot to do with it. Um, also like, uh, you know, meeting my wife and settling down and getting married. That's, that's also was a big part of it. Um, Grown up stuff. she didn't want me to, to be on tour all the time. And I didn't want to be on tour all the time because I missed her. So, you know, that, that definitely had a, a big part of it too. You have a conversation when somebody like becomes an important part of your life of just like, yeah, this is a, uh, you're going to be in the comic. Like, it's just, there's yeah. just, just no, there's no way around it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, actually, yes. With every, uh, every person I've been close with, you know, I kind of go out of my way to show them the comic and be like, make sure they know about it and be like, Hey, if you get involved with me, you're going to be part of this. So, you know, make sure you're cool with it, you know, and I have always asked permission for people like that, you know, maybe not always. I think there might've been one or two times that I am in trouble for it. I do apologize for those times. <laughs> Is asking permission an act of just like upfront? You're like, uh, you know, you ask permission once and it's like, all right, you're a character now, or is it really every time? Oh yeah. It would just be once, but it, and it would be sort of a, only for someone who like, I might be sharing personal information about, you know? Like if it's just like I was at a party and there was a guy named Bob there and I draw Bob in there like, no, I don't ask Bob for permission. Asking once versus like your wife, for example, you know, every time something sort of like verges on the personal, do you feel like you need to sort of get her permission? Oh, no, no, not at all. I mean, that that's just an implicit understanding with us, though, I think is, you know, we're both comfortable. You know, she knows what I would and wouldn't share and she's comfortable with that. Do you feel like there are times in hindsight that maybe you crossed a line? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> There's a specific a specific instance in mind. I don't want to name any names, but I definitely uh, 
yeah, I, I crossed the line and pissed a lot of people off. <laughs> was that early on or? Yeah, it was in, um, I can at least tell you the book. It was in, uh, life in a jugular vein. It's in that book. <laughs> That's all I'll tell you. I think that was the first one of yours I read. That was a pretty early one. <laughs> yeah, it was the second one. The nature of it being an early one is that like, you're probably in a lot of ways you were probably still sort of figuring out what the lines were. Right. Yeah. And, and definitely those, those early ones, you know, nothing had been really dramatically nothing been like officially published really or anything you know and so there's also that i didn't realize that you know these comics were going to be like in bound books that would be like in the library of congress and shit you know <laughs> you've still been doing it throughout the pandemic yep yep still never missed a day since 2001 do you update them daily online or is oh no 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 i never share them anywhere until the book comes out so every three years a book comes out um meaning the let's see dog days came out in 2018 or 2019. Oh, you're making me do math, man. Um, next year, the next book will come out. <laughs> and it's going to include the all the pandemic Yeah, stuff. yeah. It'll be uh, moving to California, all the stuff that I've done, you know, since a lot, a lot of interesting. This the next book's going to be very, very interesting. A lot of cool shit happened to me. <laughs> yeah, Jim's journal. And for me, like the first diary strip I remember really getting super invested in that I was reading every day was when James Kolchaka was doing his. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That was a big, I would say he was a huge influence on me, but technically I was doing, no, wait, no, he was doing them a couple of years before me, but I actually had never seen his journal comics when I started mine. But then when I found them, I'm like, Oh yeah, holy shit, this is amazing. Probably like a lot or most people I was, I was reading them online as, as they happened. And then, you know, maybe like get a, a book after that. Obviously you have a website and, and have that access. Is there a reason why you continue to release them that way? Yes, there is. But I, I don't know if I could actually explain it. It's, it, it's, it's, there's no real reason. It's an arbitrary thing that I've just decided for whatever reason. I don't know why. Cause it's not like I'm some Luddite that doesn't embrace technology and stuff. I just, for whatever reason, for these comics, I really want them to only exist on paper. I really don't like, and like, uh, I f one of my older publishers, I found out a few years ago, like put them up on, you know, put like ebook versions up for sale. And I got really mad and was like, dude, take these down. I do not want ebooks ever. And the only time, the only exception I've made is the new book. I let them put it in uh, libraries for free, like as ebooks, but that's it. Like I really, I don't know. I don't know why there's, there's no reason. <laughs> there's no like justifiable reason I can think of as to why I'm so anti-digital comics for my specific comics, but I am. And I really don't know why. <laughs> Do you think that there's value in like in having that time period between the actual incident and when people are able to, to actually sort of sit down and take it in? Oh, yes, that's definitely really helpful. You know, like, I don't know, there's been times where I might have said something mean about somebody, you know, and if they had seen that within the week of me drawing it, it would have been a very dramatic episode but three years later you know they completely forgot that it happened and it's fine you know there's there's definitely that nice buffer when i would when i used to do the zine just the small zines even that sometimes people would be like oh this is just like two weeks ago and i'm like ah shit you know like it, it was still even that was a little too too soon like i definitely enjoy that three-year buffer and i think part of it too is it's one of those things that if i've ever tried to describe your your comic to people it's been hard to i'm going to say this is going to come out bad but i promise right. it's in a nice way <laughs> no but it's hard it's sort of hard to to verbalize like the appeal of it right oh I mean, yeah like you you know you said that like 
you know, you're not the world's best drawer and like, you know, some days the drawings are, are better than others. And like, and it is something that in a lot of ways just completely embraces some extremely mundane things. And I think it's maybe a thing that can only be, we have a word for it now because everybody's watching TV shows on Netflix, but like before Netflix, it, it was, it was a kind of binging. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you get a sense of why it works better as sort of a, a longer sequential work than it, than it does, than any of the sort of individual pieces? So this is, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but some guy one time, this was, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, sent me a copy of like his college thesis or some like really important paper that he had written for school. And the paper was about the perception of time passage in my comics. I swear to God, dude, this guy, like for like his college, like thesis, he did this, but it, it, and I understand it. It was talking about how, you know, when you, when you read my comics, when you read the three year books, it almost like, this is, ah, I feel like an asshole saying this, but it's true. It kind of like induces a trance state. That's kind of the idea of like, you're just repetitively going through each day and, you know, months happen. You watch a month unfold in like five minutes. You watch a year unfold in an hour, you know, and like that constant repetition and just reading it and you like just are flipping the pages mindlessly. You're not really remembering what happened in each strip. You're just kind of, you know, skimming it almost because it's that's kind of the point. And it really does kind of induce a trance state. It's it's. I don't know. I, I know I sound like an asshole for saying that, but I've always been proud of that feeling. You know, I'm proud that I've been able to, and I've had, I've had other people tell me that they feel that way too. When they read them. It's like meditative. Is that the word? Maybe, maybe, but like, you know, like when you listen to like droney music, it's like one riff over and over again, like lungfish or a band like that, you know, where like the repetition actually kind of like you start to see patterns, like larger patterns in the, in the re- repetition. Philip Glass, somebody said that like, my comics reminded them of Philip Glass music. <laughs> again, it's quite a compliment. Yeah, I know, again, I feel like a fucking pretentious asshole saying this kind of stuff, you know, because at the end of the day, they're shitty comics about nothing <laughs> that aren't even drawn well. <laughs> you know, you use the word shitty before to, to describe them. In a certain sense, is that part of like the deflecting or the sort of the the playing down, like, do you, do you feel like the the playing down that you did when you first started that you sort of have to do that? And maybe that's sort of a defense mechanism of not seeming or feeling like you're taking them too seriously yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very apt. The other thing though, is it adds another level of, it it makes, it's what makes the comics funny. If that makes sense. Like the comics are never intended to be funny, you know, and like a lot of times people are like, Oh, I read your book. It's really funny. And like, obviously you didn't read the book. What I do think the one thing that does make my comics funny is how shitty the drawings are, you know? And like, I I love one of my favorite things to do is that breaking down that fourth wall where I'll like actually comment in the comic about how shitty the drawing is. Like, I love doing that. And it's never something that like, I never intentionally draw anything shitty. Like, that's kind of the thing that people may not realize is that like I'm still trying as hard as I can. I don't think anybody <laughs> thinks you're 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 like they, they you're, you're intentionally doing it shitty, but I think that it's also just like I mean I never really thought about it this way because you are doing it on that same day. There's a pretty good chance that the reason why that 
art is shittier than another day is a reflection on something that's happened to you in that day. Oh yeah, for sure. That's, that's definitely true. Um, there's the, the one, uh, there's one strip in the first book that everyone always points out where I was like literally blackout drunk when I drew it and it like looks like a little child drew it. It's the worst drawing in the whole book. And like, I love it, you know? Um, but yeah, that like, that's if I couldn't have possibly driven, drawn that intentionally, you know, I, I had to be blackout drunk for it to look like that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's probably overstated, you know, this idea of sort of like making art as like catharsis or, or, or therapy. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some truth to it, but that's probably unavoidable when you're doing it every single day. I mean, is, you know, in, in, in a sense, in a sense, is, is it, is this just a method you have now for processing something that's happened in a day? Yes, for sure. Um, I've never, I mean, I definitely feel like it is therapeutic for me and I've, I've never felt personally the need to like uh, seek out therapy or anything. And I think having this comic is a big reason why, you know, it's, it's something that I, I said in an interview a long time ago was that like, it's, it's hard to get like when you're, when you're, when you've lost your job and you've been evicted from your house it's hard to get super stressed when you look and there's this shitty little cartoon man that's going, I don't have a job. You know, it's like it, it definitely helps, helps like ground me a little bit. You know, when I get really upset about something, when, when you draw it out as a, as a shitty comic, it, you know, it doesn't seem as important. I don't know if that makes sense. It's kind of counterintuitive though, right? Because it doesn't seem as important when you're drawing it, but in, in a sense, the act of sitting down and drawing something is making some is making it more permanent. You know, especially if you're sitting down and drawing something that's going to be in a book going out to thousands of people. Right. You're kind of enshrining it in a weird way. Yeah, but I think in the sense that like on the days where nothing happens, I'm putting that same amount of work into the documenting of it. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's like, it's a shitty day. Nothing happens. I do the same amount of drawing that it's a bad day where I'm really upset or a great day where I'm really happy. And I think that that also kind of helps me like regulate my emotions in that way. You know, it gives you perspective on stuff in hindsight. For sure. For sure. What role has it played in your life over the past year? You know, everyone picked up a new hobby during the pandemic. And one that I picked up was jigsaw puzzles. I got really into jigsaw puzzles. And so I decided to draw one and uh, I don't know if you followed, but last summer I actually, I saw on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I released a jigsaw puzzle and like, that was really fun. You know, the idea of like finding a place to manufacture it and getting them ordered and they had, you know, they got shipped over from China and I fulfilled all the orders myself. And like, that was like a really fun project. And I absolutely could not have done it if I hadn't spent 20 years building up the following that I have, you know, otherwise nobody would have wanted to buy this puzzle because it's a shitty drawing because I drew it. (laughs) But uh, I think that, that, you know, the fact that I have a fan base and they like my shitty drawings and they will buy my shitty drawings. I mean, you know, especially this time, you know, when like, you know, people are so bored and they they want something to do and and whatever. I, I feel like it's definitely helping out like that. Like, you know, my publisher said that I, he's sold a lot of my books more of my books than usual during the pandemic, you know, day to day as you're, you know, living through this, as we all were, Mm -hmm. did the nature of the strip and the role it plays in your life change? It it changed. Okay. So the, I think the biggest change is, you know, I, I also started working from home and now I can draw my comics while I'm on the clock. (laughs) And so I kind of take a little bit longer with them. 
like like I think you'll notice that the comics from this year are going to be a little bit better drawn than than most because I you know I'm just sitting here uh, you know my the way my job works is I I there's a lot of downtime and I'm just sitting there and I'm like I'm getting paid for this I might as well start drawing and and you know I've got lots you know when it used to be like you know I did it in my spare time I would try to get it over with so I could go on and do my shit for the day but like when I'm on the clock at work I feel like it's okay to like take my time. So yeah, I'm actually, now that you mentioned, I didn't really think about that till just now, but like, I think everyone's going to notice that when the next book comes out. Is there a specific time in the day when you obviously it changes from day to day, depending on what you're doing, but like, is there kind of a, a general time that you have carved out to work on it? Yeah. Usually in the mornings, I will draw the day, the previous day, the next morning usually. Yeah. But yeah, I usually wait for the whole day to finish. Cause you never know if, you know, you're like, Oh, today have a, and then like, at like 9.30 at night, something crazy happens. You're like, shit, I already drew the comic for the day. <laughs> As you're walking through the day, how much headspace is knowing that, that the, the next morning you're going to have to do a strip? How much how much brain power is, are you is kind of just occupied trying to figure out what that one thing is? Oh, almost none. It, I A lot of times, yeah, I don't even think about it. A lot of times it's just, you know, I'll sit and like always the – the comic has always been technically an answer to the question of what'd you do today? You know? Mm. And that's, so that's, you know, I'll sit down and I'm like, well, what did I do yesterday? Well, I worked. And then after I finished working, I played the guitar for a little bit and I like, you know, took the dog for a walk. I'm like, okay, those are the three things. That's good. And then, boom. You know, I, I just think of three things. And sometimes, you know, it does happen where like I've drawn it and I'm like, ah, shit, I also did that that day. Oh, well, whatever, you know? And, whatever <laughs> if it's super super important i'll put it in the next day and maybe pretend that it happened that day or something but you know that's very rare that that happens what are you doing for work these days yeah i moved to san francisco i don't know if you're aware of that like um yeah so uh you were in austin for a while yeah right? i lived in austin for 20 years and then uh my wife got a really good job here in san francisco and so we moved here in december of 2019 and so i went from I went from Manor, Texas, a tiny little suburb of Austin out in the country in Texas, you know, population 8,000 people, small little town. I moved from there to San Francisco and then a month into it, the fucking pandemic happens. So it's really weird. I've lived in, the, I live in this major city that I've no, don't really know any of the people of. It's super weird. I've been to the, I love, you know, walking around the city and during pandemic is crazy because the, you know, the streets are empty and you're walking around like a zombie movie and I've gotten to explore the whole city and it's really beautiful, but I haven't seen any people, you know what I mean? I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's the most surreal way to experience a city and it's really weird. But anyway, um, when we moved here, I got a job just like, you know, through like ZipRecruiter or whatever. And, um, it's, uh, I, I had to sign an NDA, so I can't really say, but it's, it's basically just a lot of sitting in front of a computer, like monitoring a job queue. That's all it is. It's really boring, easy work and it pays pretty good. So we were all kind of forced to become sedentary, but it sounded like you were heading in that direction from the standpoint of like, you know, again, you just maybe weren't playing music as much as you used to. And obviously you weren't just like getting up and going to a show every night. Do you know what you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, like, so yeah, when, uh, as far as day jobs go, you know, for the last 10 years, I've been working in, uh, the printing business and like commercial print shops. 
And I really loved that work, you know, um, especially like I started doing like wide format printing, like, you know, printing like big banners and like, uh, you know, trade shows shit and stuff like that. And like, I really, really enjoyed that work very, very much. And, uh, you know, when we moved, you know, I was kind of bummed that I was leaving my job and I was trying to find a job doing that. You know, basically the job that I have now was just the first thing that came along and I took it. And the whole idea was like, oh, I'll just, this is my placeholder job while I look for like something that I want to do. But then the pandemic started and it's like, I'm lucky to have a job. I'm just going to stick with it. And so that's where I'm at now. And like, you know, there's talk that we might return to the office in June. And if I do, you know, like once I go back to the office and things go back to normal, I probably will just try to try to find a real job that I like. Because it's not that I mind this job, but it's really just a placeholder for now. And just due to the pandemic, I'm just kind of letting it sit like it is. Do you get a sense that the daily strip is something that you're going to do for as long as you, I guess, can, you know, physically put pen to paper? Yes. Yes. I've always, uh, ever since I first started, I was like, I'm going to do this every day. Like the last, the last strip that I ever draw is going to be like, tomorrow I'm going skydiving or it's going to be like, boy, having cancer really sucks. You know, like it's going to be one of those two. (laughs) 